It's a blessing to be with you folks. For those of you who have not had the chance yet of meeting, my name is David, David Gall. My wife, Lauren, was just at the piano. We have three children, Gabriel, Isaac, and Emma Rose. They are five years old, two years old, and six months. So they either keep us young or they are aging us prematurely. Amen. We are missionaries sent out of Landmark Baptist Church in Haines City, Florida. We're partnered with Baptist International Missions. Many of you might know it as BIMI, located right here in the state of Tennessee, in the city of Harrison. And uh, we're grateful for the work that God has called us to do. If you have something to write on and something to write with, this evening, before we jump into the Word of God, I have three very specific prayer requests concerning our ministry that I would like each of you, if possible, to make note of. I am a young man. I heard a preacher say not too long ago that I was a pup, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, but that's probably an accurate description. But as I have had the opportunity these last year and a half to travel the United States in deputation, something that God has made irrevocably true in my own life is that prayer is not a religious cliche. It stands at the very center of our success. And... I believe when we get to heaven, what we're going to find is not that we asked too much, but that we asked far, far too little. And so in that spirit, and I know I'm preaching before I'm preaching, amen. The first thing I'd like you to make note of this evening, something I'd like you to be praying for concerning my family and I and the ministry God has given us to the country of Belarus is for people, people. Currently, there are only two Bible-believing, Bible-preaching missionaries in the country of Belarus. There are only three Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. Of those three, only one of them exists legally, according to the Belarusian government. The other two exist contrary to the, the laws of that country. What we are finding is that Belarusian people have not heard a clear presentation of the gospel since a time before World War I. We're not talking about families going to hell. We're talking about generations going to hell. Which brings me to to number two. The second thing I'd like you to pray for concerning our family is for protection. Belarus is a closed country. Uh, The simplest way to put it is everything that we will do as missionaries is illegal. If we are caught, we will either be fined and deported or I will be placed in prison. Every Belarusian that is caught aiding us will be placed in prison and their assets will be seized by the government. Upon entering the country, two divisions of the KGB will be assigned to our family. They will follow us. They will read our mail. They will listen to our phone calls. They will know where my children go to school. People that spend any inordinate, unusual amount of time with our family will be brought in and questioned. This will happen for the foreseeable time that we are in their country. I do not tell you this to try and incur sympathy or to cause you fear. God has always had enemies, and he has always been faithful to his people. I tell you that because infinitely more important than me or my safety is the furthering of God's work. It is our desire to see the lost people of the country of Belarus come to Christ and so to that end, when we ask you to pray for protection, we ask, firstly, that you would, you would pray that God would protect his work and that his work would move forward. Tonight, across various places of the capital city of Minsk, where we'll be laboring, there are five Bible studies taking place in hushed tones in people's homes. They are led by Belarusians who have been saved. 
they are doing all of that illegally and they are they could not be more grateful for the opportunity to open God's word. And my thoughts go to them tonight. I also think of a gentleman. His name is Joshua Polivka. He is a veteran missionary in the capital city of Minsk. We will be going to labor with him. Together, we are, God helping us, going to be planting the first Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church in the capital city of Minsk, which would be its first church, first true church, if you will, in the history of its existence. The capital city of Minsk, as best as we can research, has never had a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church since it was founded. That is unbelievably exciting. This is not just reclaiming a stronghold that Satan has taken. This is new ground. And with all of that comes obstacles. We understand that. The cause of Christ cannot be furthered without risk. The last thing concerning protection that I would like you to pray for, and if I can just be transparent with you, is concerning my family and I. And, of course, there is our physical safety to be concerned. But when I ask for people to pray that God will protect us, what I desire most is that God will protect us from our own fears. I am not enlightened. I am not a hero. Heaven knows I'm not the Apostle Paul. If you don't believe that, my wife will be happy to correct you. I'm just a guy. I'm just a man. And I am just as easily given to doubt and despair as the next. And a place like that, it is easy to throw up one's hands and go, it cannot be done here. And my desire is that God would keep our hearts from that, that he would keep the fire burning and that our eyes would stay on him. The last thing I'm going to ask you to pray for, and then we're going to jump into the message this evening, is for partnership. And I'd like to explain what I mean. We would do a great injustice if we diluted the relationship between a church and missionaries down to nothing more than a financial transaction. The last thing that we should ever come to the conclusion of is that the missionary comes through, we're going to throw some money at his face, God bless him, here's a McDonald's gift card, and go with God. The reality is infinitely more important, and it's so much more exciting. God has given every Christian, every Christian, the responsibility to go into the world and to preach the gospel. If that is true, that means you have just as much a responsibility to take the gospel to Belarus as I do. And I have just as much a responsibility to take the gospel to Knoxville, Tennessee, as you do. Here's the problem, or the obstacle, rather. Many of you, if not most of you, will never come to Belarus, and I can't stay here. And so when we talk about partnership, on the front end, what we are asking is churches like yourself to prayerfully consider giving us the privilege of representing you in Belarus. What we are also asking is that you would be faithful to represent us. If God should tarry is coming, I would like to believe that when my children are old enough to come back to college, that they will have a country that is still has some people that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can't stay here. I can't build a church here in my homeland for them to grow up in, build a Christian school for them to be reared in, and plant a Bible college for them to be trained in. And so what I am asking is for churches like yourself to pray about representing us here. I cannot wait to go truly home. Amen. This world isn't home. But this is home. And while I wasn't born in the South, my wife has made sure to make a Southern man out of me. Yes, I drink my tea sweet for those that you are worried. There's no blasphemy up here. Amen.
but partnership. And the idea is, is that when a missionary and a church come together, they are not separate entities. They are not two institutions trying to accomplish different purposes. It is two groups of people coming together as one to accomplish the same purpose. And we praise God for that opportunity. People, protection, and partnership alliterated like a good Baptist preacher. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them with me this evening and turn with me to the book of Genesis. A book of Genesis in chapter number 22. A familiar passage, albeit an odd passage, perhaps, for missions, maybe on its face. I'm grateful the preacher had no idea what I was going to preach tonight, and I didn't know what he was going to preach this morning. And so I know God brought it all together. He has a way of doing that. This morning, and I wouldn't dare try to re-preach it, it wouldn't be as good. My, my, neither my hair nor my beard is as good as your preacher's. And so it would just, the whole thing would be a mess. But we talked this morning, we considered this morning who the king of your life is. And if I were to ask you this this evening, would you obey your king? I think the answer would probably be, hopefully, unanimous. I'd like to ask you a different question. How far would you go to obey him? Now, before we get started, I want to be absolutely clear. I did not come here tonight to use the Bible like a rod of iron to beat you over the head with. I have no no desire, no interest in that. Tonight, we're going to face some difficult questions. There are questions that if every if if you could bring missionaries in and, and, and they were able to be truly transparent I have no doubt every missionary has walked the path that I'm about to share with you. And I've had to ask themselves the questions I'm about to ask you. And they are difficult questions. But the truth of the matter is, my friends, that if we are biblical about the thing, there is no difference between you and I. Call me a missionary. Call me whatever. Why are you going to Belarus, Brother Gall? Because I am a Christian. That's the reason. And being a Christian means I go and I find a group of lost people and I give them the gospel. And those that are converted, we dunk them, we wet them when they come up sucking for air. We put a Bible in their hands and we disciple them and we go find some more lost people and we do it again. And while that may look different in Belarus or in Knoxville, Tennessee or up north where they're still learning how to make their tea correctly, Wherever, if being a missionary, if that's how we define it, then we are all missionaries because, Lord willing, tonight we are all Christians. And so if you are a Christian tonight, if you are a missionary tonight, we got to walk this path. Genesis chapter number 22 if it, if it is your habit to, is it your habit to stand for the reading of God's word? Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word if you're physically able. We're going to read in Genesis chapter number 22, beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, 
and said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. You'll pardon me for just a minute. I'm going to chase a rabbit. It just ran across the front of the... I'm going to chase it for just a minute. There is a beautiful picture here. This ain't in my notes. Of worship. Notice the absence of entertainment. Notice the absence of comfort, of convenience, of self-indulgence. And see the correlation between worship and sacrifice. All right, I caught the rabbit. Let's get back at it. Verse number six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place of which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called on him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. Don't miss this. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Thank you. You can be seated. This evening, briefly, and I will do my best to be brief. I know that's the promise every traveling preacher makes, but I'm going to do my best to keep it tonight. But God helping me this evening, I'd like to talk to you about a very simple subject. And arguably one of the hardest ones. Laying down your Isaac. Brother Gaul, what does that have to do with missions? Everything. The thing that will keep you from being the missionary Christian, the witness, whatever you want to call it, the thing that will keep you from that is not going to be your sin, albeit sin can do that. The thing that is going to keep you from playing the role that you are meant to play in the great plan that is God's tapestry, the great commission, the salvation of man, will be the thing you love most. And before we can step into that role, we're going to have to make a trip to Moriah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. And God, I know there's going to be a better way to say all of these things. And so I ask that you'd give me clarity, give me conciseness in my thoughts and in my words. 
Give me boldness to say what you'd have me to say, Lord. Please don't let me say anything that would be unhelpful. I pray that you continue to give Pastor and his beautiful family a vision for this community. Continue to use them. Bless these faithful people that are here. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. How far are you willing to go to obey God? It's an odd question when placed at first. What do you mean, how far am I willing to go? You either obey him or you don't. Let's take objectively what is happening here. I understand there's some there's some beautiful types. Maybe one of these days I'll preach this message and talk about all the wonderful types that are in this passage. Abraham, Isaac, the ram caught in the thicket. Oh, it's just good. It's It's a preacher's buffet. We're not going to talk about any of that tonight. Tonight I want you to see a daddy whose world is crashing down around him. He's not just going to lose his little boy. He is going to kill him. He's going to bind him hand and foot, put him on an altar, take a knife, open him up from belly to throat, ritually disembowel him, and then burn him. Abraham will remember for the rest of his life what his son's burning flesh smelled like. Now, I know this ain't the stuff we slap on the flannel graphs, but I want you to stay with me this evening. Because while this is a familiar passage, far too often we jump too quickly to the spiritual application. And there is spiritual application. But for us to feel the weight of what God is teaching us, we need to understand this is, this is, this is not a, a children's animated Bible story. Understand what God has asked Abraham to do. And has asked Abraham to do it without any qualifying statements. Then tell him why. Then tell, there wasn't there wasn't some religious ceremonial context. Abraham, take your son and kill him, because I asked. What? And what we see here has more application to us than we might think. There are three things about Abraham's interactions here I'd like us to see. Three lessons. For us to walk away. And then when I am done, it is my intention to ask everyone under the sound of my voice to make a decision. You say, but like, oh, I don't want to make a decision. You have made yours. And you made the wrong one. Let's see. Firstly, this evening, I want you to see the lesson in Abraham's reaction. You'll forgive me. My throat's a little dry tonight. As we look at this passage, and I've read this passage a plurality of times, and one of the things that that never ceases to escape me, go ahead and look at it for yourself. Let's let the Bible speak for itself. Verse number two, and he said, this is God speaking, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him. Isaac, his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up, went unto the place of which God had told him. The most awe-striking aspect about this verse is not what it says. It's what it doesn't say. What do you mean, Brother Gall? I'm a father of three. The first two are boys. Sometimes they're animals. Amen. But as a daddy, I can't, I can't sympathize with this. I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. 
And what is so striking to me is what Abraham says to God after this sentence has been passed. What did he say, Brother Gall? Nothing. Not a word. His reaction was immediate obedience. What's your point, Brother Gall? What is demonstrated here, it's so simple, and yet it is so profound. We teach it every week to our kids, and yet we have confided ourselves, we have satisfied ourselves to ignore this as we have gotten older, as if it is some kind of childhood doctrine. What Abraham understood in that moment, no matter how painful, no matter how emotional he felt, was that God's authority was absolute. There was nothing left to say. God had spoke. The preacher spoke this morning how we cannot compartmentalize the word of God. And, and yet we, we talk about the things that God has commanded us to do as if they are suggestions. And wonder, with a wonder that is full of astonishment, why we don't see the work of God in our own lives. The other part of this that I'm so grateful for is I also find nowhere in this passage of Scripture God condemning Abraham for what he feels. I'm not a charismatic. Although you get me preaching long enough, you know. The tea's sweet enough, amen. Cracker Barrel biscuits are hot out of the oven. Praise the Lord. His world's falling apart. This isn't just a hard thing. This will be the hardest thing he will ever do. And it will live with him. Forever. This is the point that I want to make. This is the, the, the lesson of Abraham's reaction. Obedience is not doing what feels right. It's doing what is right. People ask me often, preacher, if I'm afraid to go to Belarus. Every stinking day of my life. I've read the stories. I know them better than most. Husbands forced to watch their wives enter eternity. Endless years of torture. Nameless saints of God who for a church not of thousands but of a precious few entered into eternity unwilling to give them up to tyranny and to oppression, paying the highest price so that new Christians, new babes in Christ would have a chance to hear the Bible preached a few more times before they themselves were taken. Brother God, you're going to take your family into all of that? Yep. Don't you worry all the time. Well, then why go? Because God said to. I had a man ask me, preacher, it's appropriate question. Why did you choose Belarus? I didn't. I didn't. 
God did. I don't know where your field is. It might be your place of employment. It may be your neighborhood. It may be another country. The where is irrelevant. When God says go, what's your reaction? Hey, can, can we, can we, can we, let, let's bring it down to the base show. When God tells your teenage son or daughter to go, What's your reaction? I was thinking this morning, I don't know if it was in Sunday school in the morning service, you were talking about Job, and though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And there's there, there may be loads of us in here that will go, I would die for Christ. What if Christ didn't ask for your life? What if he asked for your wife's, your husband's, your son, your daughter's? Would we still say, Whatever you want, God. It's, it's, it's one thing for us to say that God is the king of my life until the king starts giving commands. Sometimes it is not our sin that defeats us. Sometimes when the king starts asking, we think you ask too much. The cost is too high. Why was this awful story recorded for us to show that there is a God that gives such grace that when He asks for the unimaginable, it is possible. Oh, your heart be breaking. Lesson of Abraham's Reaction is a lesson of obedience. Secondly, this evening, I want you to see a lesson of Abraham's response. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. A lot of scholars agree at this point in Isaac's life, it's very likely that he was either in his late teens or early 20s. That shades the story a little bit differently, doesn't it? He asks a reasonable question. Daddy, I don't want to question you or nothing, but we're missing something. We've done this before, and there's a really important ingredient. I don't know when Isaac began to figure out, and there's a whole nother lesson, a whole nother sermon to be preached about an Isaac that laid himself on the altar, but that's for another time. I don't know when. But he asked the question, how's this going to work out? It's an important question. As you step forward to serve God in the manner that he has asked you to serve, At some point, people that love you, that care about you, that sincerely love the Lord, are going to look at you and go, how's this all going to work out? It's not malicious. It's not meant to undermine you. But they are going to see, and according to man's reason, man's plans, this is a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. My... um. My mother-in-law went to heaven a number of months ago. She died of Alzheimer's, and I had both the difficulty and 
the privilege to watch God's grace as my wife, who had been her primary caretaker, say goodbye to her mom. And my father-in-law, Oh, he's, he's a relatively young man. Still works and he's not gonna get to see his grandkids grow up. I mean, real talk here. He's gonna get down on his knees every day and pray for his daughter's safety in a way many of us may never have to, hopefully never have to. I remember the day preacher asked me, are you sure? That's tough. That's hard. I remember being at a place and I had not heard from my mother for a number of weeks, which was, uh, which was odd. And you a mama's boy, brother Gall? Unashamedly so. Amen. And that's the mama in the room. I like it. That's good. And I called my daddy and I said, I haven't heard from mama. And he said, yeah, son, you, you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell her and give her a call. And she got on the phone with tears. And I can, you know, and nothing breaks your heart like hearing your mama cry. And she said, David, it's getting harder and harder to pray for you. I said, why is that, mama? And she said, because God keeps answering my prayers. And every time he does, I'm one step closer to losing my boy. And man, the easiest thing in the world. Peter, go to people that you love and go, you know, maybe but God can use somebody else. God didn't ask somebody else. And I don't say this to you tonight to try and incur some kind of woe is brother gall. I get the greatest privilege in the world. I mean, you got to be running from the Egyptians to get to see the Red Sea part. Know what I mean? I mean, you got to be in the middle of it if you want to see something. And I have no doubt, make no mistake, we're going to see something in Belarus and I can't wait to see it. But what do we do when the tough questions get asked and we don't have answers? Lesson so simple yet again, and I praise God for his simplicity. I want to be careful how I word this. Trust isn't knowing the details of God's plans. Trust is knowing that God has a plan. That's so important. I'm going to say it again. Trust isn't knowing the details of the plan. It's knowing God has a plan. I really hope I don't go to prison. I don't have a good face for it. We're just being honest. I don't. I have, I have no inklings. I'm not standing up here but like, I'm going to be burned at the stake. Not, not so much. I don't like the heat. Like if it's over 70 degrees, it's too hot outside. Like I ain't all about that life. I'd be perfectly happy to sit in North Carolina with some fried chicken, kids in the pool backyard, sweetheart sitting next to me in a rocking chair, drinking sweet tea. That's good preaching. Amen. I mean, that's, that's home. And you could ask me tonight, Brother Gall, what are you going to do if everything goes south? What's your plan B? Don't have one. That's reckless. No. I'm not the one that makes the plan. We got to come to a place 
and, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is an American thing. I don't know. I don't know. But we need to come to a place where we stop assuming that just because something is difficult, well, that must not be God's will. Who told us that? Who promised you that God's will would be safe, convenient, and full of comfort? Because I don't find it in the book. And, and, and you, that, listen, that's easy to preach. That is. That's a whole different world to live. I get it. I get it. It's easy to say, but God, if God, if I had to lose my job, lose my life savings and lose everything I love, I'd still serve him. It's a whole different world when that becomes your reality. And yet, that is the question. We think that the story of Job is about everything that Job lost. It's not. It's about whether or not Job was still going to praise the God of heaven. And he kept doing it. Does anybody want to go there? I don't think Job was like, I'm so glad this I get, this gets to happen to me. Like, well, let's do this again in a couple of years. This was so much fun. Pretty sure that's not how it went down. But so often when we say with our words, I do anything that God asks of me, we say that with the assumption that there are some things that God would never ask. What if he did? There's a lesson in Abraham's reaction, and that lesson is obedience. There's a lesson in Abraham's response, and the lesson is trust. But there's one more. It's the hardest one. Look with me quickly, and I'm almost done. And they came to the place, verse number 9, and they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood, and, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I don't know much of death. I'm grateful that I have not had to bury very many of my family members. I come to this part and I I, I so desperately wish I could understand all the nuance of what was going through Abraham's mind. We don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. But if I had to entitle this, I would say for so long, I used to say this was Abraham's resolve. He grit his teeth and bear. I no longer think that's true. No, no, I think the lesson here is in Abraham's resignation. And I'm going to tell you what I mean. When we talk about surrender, and perhaps rightfully so, we talk a great deal about what we are surrendering, what we are giving up. But maybe perhaps not often enough do we talk about to whom we are surrendering. You can't. If I just got up here and was like, I surrender. That's great. What are you talking about? Pastor, we need to get that guy off the platform. There, there has to be a force to whom we surrender to. And the reality is, in these situations, there are two. There is, of course, the obvious, what may appear to us 
glory. Obvious, and that is the surrendering of our faith. Surrendering to our faith. Surrendering, all right, God, I give it to you. But on this other side, we don't like to talk about because perhaps maybe we, we think that if we, if we talk about it, it somehow makes us less of a Christian. But over here is a reality of a, a, a force that we could call our fear. And you surrender to one of them. You surrender to your faith or to your fear. You surrender when you're talking to the lady at the gas station, when you're talking to the waitress, when you're talking to the man at the door. We make a choice. We make a choice. Nobody made it for us. And it's not about our religious academia. It's not about our pedigree. It is a choice of fear or faith. And we pick one, and you can't have both. Abraham is at this place of decision. All the talking is done. All the prep work has been completed. And he's either going to kill his boy or he's not. Okay, God. All right. Now, I don't, I don't know you sweet folks. I wish I had the time to get to know each and every one of you. I'd love to learn your stories. But while I may not know the the logistical specifics of your role in God's plan, I know that you have one. And if I had to gander, if I had to bet on what would stop you, it's this moment. Why, Brother Gall? Because it's what would stop me. I'll tell you this and then I'll be done. When my family and I began deputation, we were not going to Belarus. We were headed to Krasnyarsk, Siberia, to work with reindeer nomads. We're going to live in a hut and eat the best dang reindeer jerky that man has created. God bless. Amen. Mm, 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 I better stop. And I was ready. Brother Gall, you know a lot about living in the woods? Not a thing. <laughs> but I had a book, and so, you know, I was like, yeah, <laughs> glory. And then Ukraine happened. I was there four months before it did. It was beautiful people. More than 300,000 casualties now, Ukrainian civilians. And... Then God connected us to Belarus in a story for another time, and we praise God for his providence. Our plans changed. His didn't. And I was, I was, I, w- I was fine with all of that. Gonna go overseas, go plant church, the Russian speaking people, they make amazing stew. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Everything was fine. Until a conversation. Speaking with a gentleman, Russian man, saved, former Russian military. And um, he was concerned that I was a bit naive. I am, but that's neither here nor there. And so he began for the next half hour in detail to explain to me, this is what they're going to do to you when they find you. It was an encouraging conversation. <laughs> I said, then this is what they're going to do to your wife kids this is what you're signing up for 
all the stuff they don't tell you in Bible college. That day, my wife had sent me a video of our oldest who had just learned to talk. And he was telling me that he missed me. Suddenly, I don't want to do this anymore. You go find somebody else, God. You ask too high a price. I'll lay down on the altar. Do it a million times. But he's just a kid. He didn't choose this life. He doesn't even know why he's going. He doesn't even know why he's in a different hotel every Sunday. He didn't choose this. Oh, you asked too much. What about my wife, my best friend? Man. She didn't have to partner up with this mess. (laughs) She doesn't deserve this. And God brought me to this passage. It's time to make a trip to Moriah, David. Fear of faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm sure there's a better way to say all of this. And in just a moment, a pianist is going to make her way to the piano. My challenge, my invitation, whatever you want to call it tonight, is a really simple one. I don't know who or what your Isaac is. And I'm not talking tonight about besetting sin. I'm not talking tonight about addiction. Uh, there's, a, there's a time for all of that in another conversation. Tonight I'm talking about the one thing that if God asked you for that, no, no, you can't have that. That's your Isaac. And my invitation to you tonight, if you're physically able, is to come to an altar why we call it that and lay him down this piano begins to play the invitation is open brother go you don't understand the difficulty of what you're asking I understand this might be the most difficult moment of your life but we can't escape it we have to choose Our Christianity must be more than words. What are you withholding from your God? He is the king of my life, Brother Gaul. He has asked for everything. And listen, either give him everything or we have given him nothing. There's no middle ground. If he is indeed worthy of it all, then lay all of it down. And if he's not worthy, then we need not waste our time here anymore. I believe, I believe in my heart of hearts that God has not changed. His power has not waned. His ability to provide has not diminished. I believe that his will is the same as it has always been. I believe that he still uses imperfect people to reach an imperfect world with the perfect message of his gospel. But if we are not willing to give him everything, why would we believe 
that we would be permitted the privilege of playing such a great and mighty role in that work. We didn't take the time tonight to talk about it, but you folks know how that story ends. God provided. And this isn't no prosperity gospel. I don't believe in that mess. But God is able to provide. God knows what He's asking you to lay down. And long before you ever lay it down, His provision is en route. That provision might be a replacement. That provision might be grace to endure what He has asked of you. I don't know. But I know He will provide. That is what that name means. Jehovah Jireh. The God who will provide. But you will never see that provision if Isaac is not laid upon the altar. You don't get one without the other. Brother Gall, I want to see Walridge Baptist Church move forward in a mighty way for the cause of Christ. I want to play a role I've never played before. That's wonderful. Have you laid Isaac down? Abraham was blessed. I love what the Bible says. The blessing was given. Thou hast not withheld thy son from me. God, give us that kind of faith. That God could ask for the most precious thing. And we would give it to him. God, help me. God, help us. Many have come. Several are still at the altar. I don't want to rush a thing. We're right on time tonight. I don't know how God is working in your life. and But friends, we are not defeated. <laughs> I know we're pretty close to the end of the story, but it's got a happy ending. But how are we going to end our stories? Will we get to heaven and spend all of eternity wishing we would have or glad that we did?